0: Being in the transportation sector and and thinking about carbon emissions on the planet, we have to decarbonize, and that's a big kind of area of focus. Efficiency, technology, renewable fuels. But to get to a net zero 50 world, which is where we all kind of need to head to and to get that deep decarbonization, we're going to need to figure out what the rail propulsion of the future will be.
2: I'm John Yuren, head of products and strategy in the sustainable finance group at Bank of Montreal. I'm joined today by Chantal Dupré, assistant vice president sustainability at Canadian National Railway. Chantal, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, John. It's great to be here today.
2: CN Rail is one of the top transportation and logistics companies in the world, annually transporting more than 250 billion in goods, including resources, manufactured products, consumer goods, and more. With ports on three coasts, it's 20,000 miles of rail network span Canada and in the US. And in 2019, CN celebrated its 100th anniversary. Now CN is focused on the next 100 years with heightened awareness around sustainability and the environmental, social and governance or ESG of its operations. It has made aggressive commitments to reduce its greenhouse gas or GHG emissions, including setting science-based targets doing its part to hold a global temperature increase below two degrees compared to pre-industrial levels. CN has also been an industry leader in locomotive fuel efficiency for the past two decades, increasingly using renewable fuels and other alternatives that allow it to maintain its position as one of the most fuel efficient railroads in North America. And CN just backed up its commitment to a sustainable future this past week by announcing the largest sustainability-linked loan in Canadian history. The $2 billion sustainability-linked loan, or SLL, ties CN's cost of capital to ambitious environmental improvement targets, including reductions in GHG emission intensity and increasing its fuel efficiency. The SLL involves a potential pricing adjustment to the interest rate margin if CN achieves or fails to achieve the environmental thresholds. As Assistant Vice President of Sustainability, Chantel was one of the several people from CN that helped arrange the SLL, and I'm pleased to have Chantel join today's podcast. Chantel, can you please elaborate for the listeners on what sustainability means to CN and what's most critical to your company from an ESG perspective?
0: Sure. At CN, we call our sustainability strategy Delivering Responsibly, and we are focused on five key pillars. Environment, people, safety, community, and governance. And that really is our play in terms of the critical aspects you know if we talk to the es and the g a little bit more in depth from an environmental perspective as you've mentioned we have a significant focus on greenhouse gas emissions and in having set a science based target we're also focused on our reducing our air emissions so not just greenhouse gas emissions but air particulates NOx and SOx as well we're focused on the circular economy and reducing reusing recycling uh, our waste And we also have a significant focus on biodiversity. And over the last several years, we've done a lot of tree planting and have planted over 2 million trees since uh, 2012, for example. On the social front, uh, the focus there, as I mentioned, one of the key pillars is safety. And that really means the safety of our people, the safety of the customers that we serve, and also the safety of the communities that we cut across along our long North American rail network. From a people perspective, not surprisingly, diversity and inclusion is critical and has become even increasingly more critical and important over the last 12 months. And we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. We also have a particular focus on First Nations. We do uh, cut across many First Nations communities across our network, along our network. And so we have a focus there as well. So when we think about our sustainability strategy, it really is crystallized through materiality. And I think that that's interesting in terms of where we are today versus where we were at the beginning of my journey in sustainability maybe 10 or 12 years ago where it seemed that everything was important to everyone and it's great to see today the increasing focus on what is material to each sector and each organization and we we leverage materiality to inform our sustainability strategy and what's critical to our organization.
2: Thanks, Chantel. I I think that's a really good point, you know, around materiality. You know, ideally, every company would be perfect from an ESG perspective at everything, but that's not realistically how it works. And you have to then prioritize certain areas within the ESG breakdown and and really focus on those areas where you can have the biggest impact. And I know for CN, you know, let's come back to GHG emissions for a second. I know that has been something that you've been focused on in your career and certainly the company is you know, very focused on and and around the science-based targets specifically. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you came to set those science-based targets and and what the impact on CN's business has been.
0: Well, when I started my uh, sustainability journey, I had marketing, communications and railroading background, but really came at it from a sustainability perspective as a non-practitioner with no educational background. And part of the strategy, f- you know, for me personally and as with the company has been to rely on international frameworks. And in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and understanding, you know, our footprint, we collaborated early with the CDP. And for me and for the company, the CDP journey has been quite fruitful. It's really helped us understand from the beginning our carbon footprint. You know, we started, like many other organizations, understanding what is our scope one, scope 2 emissions scope 1 for us is obviously you know our locomotives and all of the uh, equipment that we run that combusts fuel and then scope 2 is our facilities so that's where we move to next in terms of our understanding and scope 3 is really for us and for every company really in our procurement stream and understanding that and that's where we're doing more and more work every year is just gaining a better understanding of these scope 3 emissions And and so through our journey with the cdp we've been learning more and in 2017 was when the CDP introduced or made the introduction to science based target. And so we took a crack at submitting our science based target approach. That first year, we leveraged the models that were being developed and, and, you know, quite frankly, our attempt was rejected by the CDP. But what they came back with, with was an opportunity to collaborate with the Science-Based Target Initiative to develop a rail model more specific to our sector. And we embarked on that journey, collaborating with SBTI and got approval for our science-based target in 2017. So we were early on, which means, you know, our science-based target is aligned with a two-degree scenario currently, which was the science at that time. In 2018, there was an important IPCC report that indicated that we have to keep global warming well below two degrees. So we've embarked on the journey again this year to work with the science-based target. It is about five years later, which means we're due to review the target. And we also acquired uh, TransX about a year ago, which is a trucking company, and that impacts our scope one. So we're collaborating again with the science-based target and resubmitting for a new target and awaiting approval in the coming weeks. You know, kudos to the CDP because they've been there for a long time and have served, you know, an important framework, I think, for CN and many other organizations. And then, you know, and then they they opened the door for us to collaborate directly with the SBTI. And that's been a great journey for
2: us as well. Thank you for the the background. It's um you're right, the CDP has played such a critical role in even introducing the concept of companies tracking and reporting on their own carbon emissions. Um, and then creating this, you know, this gateway to the science-based target initiative, whereby, you know, companies make these really ambitious pledges. And it sounds like, you know, CN was there at the early stages of the SBTI. And it sounds like we'll be sort of looking at them again here shortly for a well below two degree scenario. But, you know, major credit to the CDP for kind of getting everything started when it was still really new and nascent area for a lot of different companies. So that's cool to hear. Absolutely. On the fuel efficiency target. So I mentioned at the outset that you you know, CN has been a leader for 20, 25 years from a fuel efficiency perspective. I'd love to hear, you know, about some of the ways that CN's improved fuel efficiency and, and then, you know, forward looking, what does the future look like from a fuel efficiency perspective with developments in renewable fuels, things like biofuels or hydrogen or others? Like what does, what impact will that have on fuel efficiency going forward?
0: Sure. And I'll actually circle back because uh, part of your your previous question was, what's the impact on the business? And this really ties into the impact on the business. And And of course, when you set these ambitious, you know, science-based targets, they, they are not for the faint of heart. They are ambitious. And, you know, in working with the SBTI, our next uh, target to come, and we're, we await approval in end of march early april will be even more aggressive than than the current one and what that does to the business is to continue you know for us this intense focus on efficiency that's been part of our dna for a very long time it just reinforced it and i'd say that you know no stone has been left unturned as a result these targets include scope 1 and scope 2 emissions and and while the bulk of our emissions come from our locomotives 85%. In order to achieve these very ambitious targets, we have to look at all of the fleets that we operate and also our facilities and the electricity consumption that I talked about, which is our scope too. So, you know, setting these targets impact on the business is a reinforcement of this intense focus on efficiency. And the impact then there has actually been greatly positive, right? Because we know when we save carbon, we're saving fuel or electricity, and we're saving money, which is great for the bottom line. So at the beginning of this journey, it was fairly a good sell to the organization to focus on this since we're contributing directly to the bottom line and continue to do so as we improve our fuel efficiency. It's very meaningful to the business. And then, you know, the other important aspect is that it also allows us to offer low carbon transportation solutions to our customers. And, you know, given where we are today, that's becoming more and more meaningful. And so, you know, leading into this discussion about our performance, we've been able to achieve a 40% carbon intensity improvement since 1993. Um, So that's based on scheduled precision railroading, which CN has pioneered. It allows us to move more freight with less assets in a much more fuel-efficient way. As you've mentioned, to this day, CN continues to be the leader in the sector. We're 15%, on average, more fuel-efficient than the industry as a whole. And you know that's it's pretty uh, interesting, given that we're all running on the same steel rails and the same locomotive. So, You know, how you operate and the people impacts, how you run those trains and locomotives is certainly very meaningful and has been a big part of our success um, over the last uh, 20, 25 years. Technology has improved. The locomotives that we procure today are a lot more fuel efficient than the locomotives of the past and then we're also buying and uh, implementing other technologies on board our locomotives anti-idling technologies for example have really helped us reduce our carbon emissions we do data telemetry systems as well and what that's doing is it allows us to collect a lot of information about the journey of each train that outlines where we can improve and so through big data management, we're uncovering other opportunities to continue to improve our fuel efficiency and intensity. So we're active on that. And in-house, you know, our fuel efficiency team, which by the way, is pretty fantastic because they're generating, you know, with the operations team, this 15% edge that we have um, on uh, on the competition, they're leveraging this big data and also in-house developed an HPTA system. And what that is, is really, it's a horsepower to ton matching system. On a train, there can be more than one locomotive unit. And those locomotives are where the fuel resides. And HPTA allows us to match only the amount of locomotive power that we need in the journey to move the freight, and then shut off a locomotive unit when we don't need it. And when those locomotive units are shut off, of course, they're not burning fuel. So that's been also a big part of the opportunity or how we've reduced our our carbon emissions in the last few years. You've mentioned renewable fuels and we're using them. And that's very exciting, I think medium-term opportunity to decarbonize the rail sector. And and that really is in line with the regulations mainly in Canada. We have a renewable fuel standard. So we've been buying fuel that's blended 2% with renewable fuel in diesel for the last decade or so. Uh, We have a pending clean fuel standard that's coming at the national level. We have a clean fuel standard in British Columbia and other jurisdictions where we operate, where they're already blending up to 4% in BC, 3.5% in Manitoba. So we're seeing these increasing blends of renewables in the diesel fuel that we buy. And that's also helping us reduce our carbon emissions. And further than that, we're exploring the greater use with our OEMs. So these the locomotives that we operate have guarantees for the diesel fuel that we buy today. And so we have work to do with OEMs and at the industry level as well to make sure that the increased use of renewable fuels that we understand the impacts and that we can indeed use higher rates of renewable fuels in our locomotives. And we're really active on that. So for our sector, because we use long-term capital intensive assets like locomotives, it is sustainable for us to foresee using them to the end of their life cycle. And, and, you know, we use our locomotives for at least 20, 30 years, and we want to do that. Like I, like I mentioned, it's very sustainable to use an asset to the end of life. So we see the greater use of renewable fuels in the next decade as really key to decarbonizing our sector and helping us achieve our science-based target.
2: You said a few things, Chantal, that I want to pull out that I think are really interesting. Um, you know, Early in your response, you were talking about the, the idea of, of using fuel efficiency improvements to save money, and of course that's part of the triple bottom line right so you have environmental and social improvements within your business but the economical advantages that come with a focus on esg are every bit as important and certainly as you're selling it through the individual business lines that was something that you cn realized early on could be something that really benefited the bottom line the economic bottom line for you and so that was one way to get buy-in which is cool Another point you made, which was interesting, was around providing value to customers. And it's one thing for CN to be trying to improve its own fuel efficiency, because yes, that help, helps profitability. But as you're thinking of you know, the actual goods and products that you are shipping through your train, a lot of the companies that you're shipping for have their own you know, scope one, two, and three targets and goals. And by providing a more fuel efficient service, across the value chain that, that helps their scope three emissions and, you know, contributes to the greater good as well. So you're using that as an advantage, you know, vis-a-vis competitors to say we are actually the provider that yes, we'll do it at the best possible rate, but but also we'll do it with an eye to our environmental stewardship and responsibility, which then helps them tell the story to their stakeholders as well. So I thought that was cool. And then finally, around like you know using tech and big data, all really great as we look into the future because we have so many companies that are coming up with these amazing solutions, not just in you know renewable fuels and whatnot, but really working with companies to meaningfully reduce their carbon emissions and do it in a way that will create a sustainable outcome for the future and And so it sounds like you're already harnessing a lot of those technologies, but certainly something to kind of double down on in the medium to long term. Switching gears a little bit, I want to, not to bring it to a somber note, but, you know, obviously we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now and, and, you know, the entire world's been facing disruptions in virtually every facet of life over the past year. As an essential services provider, what major changes has CN had to implement to maintain operations through the pandemic?
0: Yeah, I I mean, uh, I can't believe it's been a year already. In a way, it seems like it's been forever and in another way it seems like it's gone by so fast. It's just this weird circumstance that we all find ourselves in and and of course, you know, sh- rail, you know, CN is the backbone to the economy and it was very important that we keep moving the goods that are so important to everybody to be able to stay home, get our groceries, you know, get our protective masks and 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 what we needed to to kind of be able to 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 stay home safe. So, safety, obviously. You know, was the big focus. And a lot of it in the beginning, because our people, our operations people, are essential workers, a lot of focus and time and effort to make sure that we kept our people safe and able to operate the railroad throughout the pandemic. So for headquarters people like me or office people like me, we were just sent home and I've been set up in my home office now for about a year and, you know, not returning at least, you know, until we have more vaccines and and a higher level of, you know, immunity uh, in the general community. So working from home, and then in terms of our operations people, making sure that they're safe. We actually have a medical doctor on staff. And so that's been extremely helpful to making sure that we put in place all of the correct safety protocols and equipment and provisions to keep our people safe. And then, of course, making sure that our customers are safe. And so that's been kind of the big, intense focus. And it's been all of the same thing that other you know, companies have done, which is you know temperature checks when people are checking in and protocols and masks and hand sanitization and a lot of cleaning. Kudos to our facilities people who have been extremely busy, our medical, you know, our medical uh, staff who have been very busy and our operations people who have kept the economy kind of moving over the last 12 months. So a lot of people working very hard to keep everything safe and moving safely.
2: Well, what's interesting is, you know, one of your four pillars of Delivering responsibly is safety, right? You, you said that at the beginning, and so the companies that have responded best to living through a pandemic and including essential service providers were ones that weren't caught off guard by this. Were ones that not that anyone plans for a pandemic, but if you have, you know, at the core of your operations, a focus on your employees, a focus on your customers, and, and principally, you know, their their safety then it really sets you up at the very least to pivot quickly and to ensure that you have the, the right operations and mechanisms in place to, to protect that safety and enhance it, really. So uh, that's no surprise that you've been able to sort of manage through this time, um, but also really good to hear.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, nobody could prepare for this. And I remember in the early days, we all thought we would be back at work in a couple of weeks, uh, but certainly having that safety culture, you know, and safety in the DNA has certainly been very helpful to, to kind of keep operating over the last uh, unprecedented uh, 12 months.
2: So well, my last question for you, Chantel. So you've mentioned a little bit about data and technology and and, and not to, you know, preview the question, but what I'm, what I'm, where I'm trying to get at is like, what is, what does the future look like for CN and, and perhaps the rail transport industry more broadly? What does that look like in a, in a post COVID world?
0: Well, I, you know, I'll just, you know, end by focusing on two kind of key things and we talked about decarbonization and of course, you know, being in the transportation sector and, and thinking about carbon emissions on the planet, You know, we have to to decarbonize, and that's a big kind of area of focus. To 2030, a lot of it will be the focus on what we've talked about, efficiency, technology, renewable fuels. But to get to a net zero 50 world, which is where we all kind of need to head to and to get that deep decarbonization, we're going to need to figure out what the rail propulsion of the future will be. And so we're actively working on that. We have a long standing memorandum of understanding with Transport Canada through the Railway Association of Canada. So, at the industry level, we're active on this. In the last negotiation or update to the MOU that's been there for 20 years, we agreed with Transport Canada to to collaborate together as an industry with the government on the pathway to decarbonize the rail sector in Canada. And we're, we've been active on that for the last couple of years. Part of that is looking at what are the technologies that are being developed around the world? What would the cost be to deploy some of these technologies in Canada? We've looked at LNG, for example. We've looked at rail electrification in terms of studies. CN itself did pilot LNG locomotives a few years back. We're not active on that right now. Now, quite frankly, and to achieve the deep decarbonization that we're going to need, you know, we're now turning our attention more to, towards electrification and hydrogen and working together with government and also, you know, locomotive manufacturers. I like to say oftentimes in this, in this challenge that we face with uh, science-based targets or deep decarbonization, as a railroad, we're kind of the in-between guys or girls. We don't make the locomotives and we don't make the fuel that are really required for us to achieve our deep decarbonization. So this is really a team sport. (laughs) It requires significant collaboration with government, with fuel suppliers, with locomotive manufacturers. If we think about electrification, we're going to need to collaborate with utilities, and so, you know, there's a lot of people that need to be at the table as we think through these future uh, solutions. Quite frankly, it's pretty exciting. And in our experience and in my experience over the last 12 months, people are very Excited uh, to come to the table to talk about the future of the transportation sector and the future of railroading. So it'll be very exciting uh, to see the innovation to come, and and that we'll certainly you know participate in and pilot in the coming months and years ahead of us. When I started this journey in sustainability, uh, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, I didn't think that in my lifetime or my career i would see alternative propulsion for the rail sector and in the last you know couple of years and in particularly in the last 12 months we really see the momentum picking up on all fronts And I am sure now that we'll see alternative propulsion rail. As a matter of fact, there's already alternative propulsion rail being piloted all over the world, including in North America. A lot of the innovation has been happening maybe with passenger rail first. It's a little easier. It's not as heavy to pull, so you don't need as much power. But we'll see the application of those technologies that are already deployed in many instances for, for passenger rail being developed for uh, freight railroads as well. So we live in very exciting times where change is happening a lot faster than I ever would have imagined. So I think in terms of the second aspect of a post-COVID world, you know, this pandemic has been extremely uh, interesting. And I think... Even a learning opportunity for a lot of us. And 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 I think from a, a sustainability perspective, it's really driven home the importance of the S in ESG that was kind of maybe always a little bit secondary to the E, particularly over the last 10 years and, and the discussion on climate change that we've had. And, and and I think, you know, what we've all learned is that in order to prosper as a society and as companies, we need our people to be healthy. And at CN, we'd say healthy and safe. Um and I think that that's been a big, you know, lesson learned in 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 the context of covid nineteen. and 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 we've had some major, you know, social movements like Black Lives Matter that have also had a significant impact. It's been, an impactful year in so many ways. And I think that it's tied all of these ESG elements together and driven them home for a lot of people. And so that second aspect for us is the social aspect and the continued focus definitely on keeping our people safe, communities and our customers safe. But, you know, also we're, we're deeply focused on diversity and inclusion You know, in the rail sector, you know, if you look at the makeup of our employee base, there's a lot of men. So we have work to do in terms of recruiting a more diverse workforce. Definitely, we need, you know, more women in the workforce, but we have a broad, you know, view of what that means. And ultimately, our goal is to really look like the communities where we operate, and that is our all our long term goal in terms of, of diversity and inclusion. And I think, you know, in Canada, and as I mentioned briefly before, uh, we have work to do in terms of our First Nations and we're very focused on building strong, respectful, mutual relationship with First Nations across the country. And so those will remain and continue to be, you know, some key areas of focus. So environment's important. So are the social aspects. And then, of course, you need strong governance to support, you know, all of these aspects of the business. And that's what we'll be focusing on post-COVID-19.
2: Yeah, thanks, Chantal. And, and I would just echo that. It's, it's such a critically important important time in history right now there's there's major issues and implications of you know decisions made at at the environmental at the social and at the governance level for every organization and i would you know I'd really appreciate you taking time just to sort of walk us through both you know, how you've pivoted, you know, during the pandemic and, and even before it. But as we look forward, what that means and the implications are for sustainability and a sustainable future for CN and, and more broadly for Canada and, and North America. So thank you very much, Chantal, for joining the podcast.
0: Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to Sustainability Leaders. This podcast is presented by BMO Financial Group. To access all the resources we discussed in today's episode and to see our other podcasts, visit us at bmo.com forward slash sustainability leaders. You can listen and subscribe free to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, and we'll greatly appreciate a rating and review and any feedback that you might have. Our show and resources are produced with support from BMO's marketing team and Puddle Creative. Until next time, I'm Michael Torrance.